1: Coming up on the Mark Divine Show.
0: There's a theory that the DMT is acting on a receptor, a specific serotonin receptor that in normal everyday reality helps us to differentiate self from like other, like where our body ends and where the rest of the world begins. So by flooding these receptors with an exogenous amount or an exogenous source of 5-MeO-DMT, basically we feel that we become one with everything.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Devine, and this is The Mark Divine Show. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless through the lens of the world's most inspirational, compassionate, resilient leaders and servants. My guests include notable folks from all areas of life, martial arts grandmasters, military operators, high-powered CEOs, and even those on the cutting edge of psychedelics research and healing. Like my guests today, Dr. Martin Polanco and Mike Punky Higgs, a former teammate of mine, run the Mission Within that Dr. Polanco founded. It's a clinical program specializing in treatment-resistant to complex conditions such as TBI, post-traumatic stress, depression, addiction, and suicidal tendencies, especially uh, focused on military veterans. Dr. Polanco has treated over 600 special operators and SEALs, more than 80 veteran spouses, using medically supervised psychedelic treatments, specifically around Ibogaine and 5 DMT. Uh, Michael uh, Punky, uh, I used to serve with him and I did 30-day SCARS Special Combat Aggressive Reactionary System where we beat each other up for 30 days. We talked a little bit about that. He's a 30-year SEAL, retired uh, Command Master Chief, and uh, he stumbled upon Dr. Planka's work and the Mission Within in 2019 while helping a friend helping him prevent his own suicide. This unearthed a ton of suppressed trauma, so he accompanied his teammate to TMW or the Mission Within and went through treatment himself. And uh, six months later, and after a ton of work, he was back on track and thriving. And so he began to work with Mushroom Within as the director of operations. Additionally, he's the director of programs for the Honor Foundation, which is a special ops transition program. Gents, thanks so much for joining me today. We appreciate your time. What led to you kind of finding and fulfilling your purpose or calling? which kind of led to this conversation. And I know it's a different path for both of you. Why don't we start with you, Dr. Martin, You know, kind of what sparked your interest in psychedelic um, healing and vet healing and leading to the creation of this pretty amazing organization you have?
0: So I got introduced to psychedelics as a teenager, and I was really curious about these experiences and how they could help people. Then I had a family member going through addiction, and I took her to see an Ibogaine provider, and it really helped her get a perspective and a greater understanding of the underlying issues of her addiction. So it really changed the course of my life too, in seeing that there was something that could treat addiction. I was supposed to become an eye surgeon, but this experience of watching a family member go through this journey really woke up in me the desire to make this medicine more available. So I started working in 2000 with addiction patients, mainly opioid addicts, and did that for about 15 years when. I had some Marines come through that were dealing with heroin withdrawal, and they reported their PTSD was gone, in addition to no longer feeling that they had to use opioids. That really kicked off the veteran work. And then I met Dr. Kirk Parsley, who's a phenomenal physician who lives in Austin. And he introduced me to a good friend of his who was suicidal at the time, and they had found him you know, ready to, to kill himself. So he brought them down to the clinic, which at the time was called Crossroads. And he had a good experience. And that's how the special operations program started was uh, just, you know, us treating one guy and then that guy referring another and another. And it just snowballed from there. When you and I
1: met back in, I think it was around 2012, had you um, started that piece yet or, or was, it, you were, was that in the early days or kind of helping anchor my timeline?
0: I think we met a little bit later, must have been around the 2015 or 16 mark. I would have to look through my notes exactly when I met you, but the veteran program hadn't really kicked off at that point. Yeah, I'm I'm anxious
1: to talk more a little later about just what is ibogaine and 5-LEO DMT and some of the other modalities that you've worked with. You know, so that listeners who aren't clear or maybe have misperceptions, you know, can hear from the horse's mouth. From you're really a pioneer in this space from medical use of it. But before we do that, Punky, you and I met on the battlefield, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun telling those stories last weekend. And, and for listeners, um, you know, just for full disclosure, I, I did go through the program that Mike and Martin offered down in Mexico. You know, I've known you for a long time. And uh, I mean, you're you're a very different person than the individual and I, I am as well than, I, you know, the two guys who were throwing down doing scars freaking 30 years ago or whatever. So let's talk about your journey a little bit. And, you know, Navy SEAL Master Chief done all sorts of really cool things. And most people like to double click on that. But, you know, You're all about healing now, so kind of what's your journey about?
2: Yeah, it was really great running back into you again. Likewise. Yeah, Yeah, Mark and I met many years ago on a fighting course. The SEALs uh, used to run called SCARS, so for 30 days, we just got to beat the living crap out of each other.
1: Which says something about SEALs that we actually enjoy that, you know? (laughs) It was really enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I was a 30-year SEAL. You know, came in age six, pre-war. You know, got to run around Europe and South America and have a really great time. I got married, divorced, married again. I uh, had a bunch of traumas during those two marriages, and, you know, then the war kicked off just in the grind constantly for, you know, the first 20 or 10 years weren't that bad. Um, and then once the, the war kind of kicked off, just more injuries started to kick in. You know, I had some issues with my divorces, a trauma from that. My ex had gotten addicted to OxyContin. She was a triathlete, came home mm-hmm. dealing with that mess. And then my oldest daughter, the same thing. And then I started suffering blast injuries and was having cog injuries. And that caused its own frustrations. Trying to keep up in life, pain set in, and then slowly I just stopped really giving a shit. I stopped feeling. I was angry. I was my life at home sucks. So I did, was finding a way to get back on deployment, just so I could get out of town and, and into an environment that I could control again. And did that grind, and then I retired at the end of sixteen. I look back, I'm like, wow, that was a uh, that was a grind. Thought I was doing pretty good, and then over a series of years, just all these symptoms, that I call my train of life, just slowly caught up with me. I had started drinking heavily. I was just into super. Just bad behavior, pushing the limits everywhere I was going, just asking for it, right? <laughs> and um, right after I got out, I just had a bunch of more friends die. It was my younger guys, too. And then another buddy of mine, and a girl I used to work with, died in Syria. So that was a big shocker. And then I had a friend who was having a psychotic break at the same time. On top of all these other things, for some reason over this period of time, my whole world just caught up with me and just melted me down. I got a DUI. I was was running around, beat people up. I should have been in jail. And very quickly, I became suicidal. I was on all the the typical meds that all of us get into, you know, from the VA, psychotropics, pain meds, sleep aids, you know, that caustic cocktail that we get. And I was just spiraling out of control. But I'd heard about, you know, the mission went then, and Martine's program from a bunch of other friends that I'd seen kind of go down, and they were in the same state I was or worse, and they came back just these completely changed guys. But for some reason, I never dove into it. I never even researched them. I was just like, well, good for you. And that was the extent of my of my research and my concern until it was my turn. And then it was like, I had a buddy that needed help. I was trying to get him in the program. He came over one day and basically found me with a gun to my head. He's like, uh, yeah, let's go get some help. And then it, it turned into, well, I'll go down with you. And that was our deal. So we went both went down together and, you know, a four-day retreat, saved my life, saved his life, got me on this beautiful healing path that I never even knew existed. And since then, I've just really devoted, you know, my extra time and whatever time I have just to help it, you know, one of myself, my family, then, you know, my brothers and sisters. It's worthwhile.
1: It's an incredible story for a number of reasons. Um, and I know Dr. Um, or Martin has seen this um, many times, but it was kind of hidden from me. So I, I don't think teammates really admit the extent of the trauma that's been going on and maybe it's just my you know my perspective as you know i i kind of caught that first 10-year phase that overlapped with yours pre-war was my active duty and then my combat experience was you know a dim shade of yours you know i just spent time in iraq on the staff and i wasn't a breacher i wasn't a you know an enlisted operator who get to take the brunt of the the tbi causation you know events Particularly breaching and, and bombs going off and whatever. So maybe I just missed it, but um, it seems to me that this is a more common challenge. I mean, look at you like freaking 30 year retired master chief, done all these extraordinary things, and, and you're, you're sitting there melting down. What caused us to have this conversation was my good friend in platoon, SEAL Team 3 platoon chief, who I recruited out of Buds, Mark Cramp, and phenomenal guy, like just world class hero right? You both are. And he offed himself. And I'm like, what the f-, f is going on here? I guess my, you know, this will kind of lead into a deeper conversation, but how big of an issue is this? Is it just a few special operators? Is it across the s- all services? I mean, what's going on?
2: Well, I think the big one is, you know, we come from a very high performance environment, right? So we're meant to perform. We know that we're always looked at. Uh, same time, you know, that we ever expose any weakness, you know, the beast is coming you, you know, you you expose your belly. So everyone goes through life, I imagine, just thinking that they can't share, you know, these moments where they're, you know, they need help or they're vulnerable, they can't figure it out on their own. And then I think a lot of us, we just don't feel that we want to burden somebody else with our shit, you know, our stuff. So we're like, hey, I got this by myself, right? And I think you and I talked about that in Mexico. It's just like, yeah, I I can figure this out on my own, but you can't.
1: You can't. Now, how much do you think is the cumulative effect of TBI that eventually catches up to you and and literally changes your behavior without you being
2: cognitively aware of it? I mean, I look back at my life and knew it was very cumulative. You know, I had some childhood traumas that affected my reactions exponentially later on in life. I had, you know, football injuries, you know, tons of concussions. I was a master preacher in the SEAL teams. I got paid to basically blow myself up or just experiment and play around with, with stuff. And you stack that to other injuries Uh, You stack that with the meds everyone's on, trying just to to show up to work and move through life. And then you start adding moral injury and other traumas to that. It's a caustic cocktail. It's bound to happen. For
1: those who aren't really familiar with psychedelics and might still have kind of some cultural baggage around psychedelics from the war on drugs and from misperceptions, can you give us a sense of what these molecules are actually, you know, what they actually do and? Are there risks? And if there are risks, how do we mitigate them or, or you know, maybe educate us a little bit?
0: So the word psychedelic means mind manifesting. And these compounds allow a person to gain perspective on different aspects of their personality, to see their narratives and stories that they have carried on for the, the majority of their lives and see them in a different light. Uh, there's also some evidence that they affect the fall network, which is basically our ego and a system that kicks in when we're in idle, when we're not focusing on something. We're you know projecting into the future, thinking about the past, worrying about things that might happen, might not happen, or regretting things that we've done. And by shutting that down, there's different brain areas that are now speaking to each other, maybe for the first time. And this is a very uh, helpful and beneficial state to be in because it increases neuroplasticity which then also allows a person to incorporate new habits into their lives and having those habits stick. In terms of the risks, there's psychological risks to all psychedelics. These are very powerful experiences that can be scary and even traumatic. So having the right container, the right practitioner, the right dosage, and then having proper integration is critical. When it comes to Ibogaine, it has particular risks to itself, which is some cardiovascular effects. There's drug interactions with specific medications. There's a potential for bradycardia. So this is a slowing down of the heart rate. And it's important to be monitored while you're on it so that the medical professionals can detect if, if there's arrhythmias or slowing down of the heart rate. It is rare for something to happen. And um, most of the risks are in opioid addicts because they are, by definition, not healthy. And they often don't disclose what medications they might be on or what drugs are in their system. And there's also the risk of somebody using drugs after Ibogaine and overdosing because it reduces your tolerance. So Ibogaine is, is a you know whole conversation in terms of how to mitigate these risks. But for the rest of the psychedelics, it's like I said, there's psychological risks and then there's the risks of not integrating the experience properly. And, and for those, I would single out ayahuasca and 5-MeO-DMT, which are you know, sometimes really hard to come back from and to properly integrate. So I, I would just caution people from, you know, blindly going to the first practitioner that they find.
1: Okay. We're going to take a short break here from the Mark Divine show to hear a short message from one of our partners. And now back to the show. I've done both ayahuasca and the 5LEO DMT, and they're profound experiences. And I would agree that this experience, the context matters, the uh, intention matters, and also your expectations matter. If you're going to just do these thinking it's going to be like a weekend recreational experience with a friend who happens to have come across some or know somebody who knows somebody, it's not a good idea, in my opinion, and I'm sure in yours as well. But a good, well curated experience where there's pre-preparation and post-integration, like you said, and I'd like to talk more about what that looks like. It can be profound because there's some you know, contextualization and, and support that might be required to help understand some of the experience. I've read a little bit about this. Maybe I got this from Michael Pollan in, in his book, How to Change Your Mind, about how context and you know just the state of your mind going into an experience can dramatically affect the
0: nature of the experience. Can you speak about that a little bit and kind of what's going on, Martin? Yes, the context matters. And It's also important to have trust in the practitioners because the therapeutic relationship with these medicines is really critical. To talk more about context, so context is also set and setting. So it's your mindset when you're going into these experiences, and then the setting, which is the physical environment. We focus on providing a clinical experience, but also having a very beautiful surrounding and the right music, the right lighting, and contextualizing these experiences as ceremonial and having the right reverence for them while at the same time having medical staff and heart monitors and medical equipment present. And I'll let Punky speak a bit more to that because he's been helping us for a couple of years in, you know, setting the right context and helping guys go down to Mexico and helping them feel safe. Yeah, I'd be interested if you could describe
1: uh, in that vein just a little bit of the adequate preparation and then also what happens in the post-experience of the integration.
2: Yeah, so when I uh, screened for the program, you know, so I went through a screening process, went through medical screening, and then met with my coach. So she prepped me, had two beautiful sessions with her, and it was really just walking me through the medicine, like, hey, here's what you can expect, but here's also how you should meet the medicine, right? Because I think I very easily, I think you and I joked about this. I could have come down there going, yeah, I'm just going to crush this medicine. <laughs> and then Like, okay, do you want to play ball?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I share with you, not to interject here, but I share with you, that's the, sort of the, ad, the Navy SEAL attitude I had when I first met Martin and up at the SEAL Foot Training Center. And I wasn't prepared for that experience. It was a great experience, don't get me wrong, but it, it was incomplete. I yanked myself out of it because I was like, part of me was like, whoa, you weren't ready for this. And uh, it could go south quickly.
2: Yeah, it was that. And then I think coming down, I, I laugh when I look back at it, but I see it every weekend when I'm down. You know, you get these operators coming in and, and you've worked with them and known them for years and you are some pretty bad guys and they're terrified. You know, like, yeah, I'm freaking terrified too, right? So there's there's a fear, there's a reverence for the medicine that a lot of the fears is just we're afraid of ourselves, right? What we're going to see, you know, is God going to hand me my ass, all that. So, you know, the staff works really hard and just creating a, a really safe and loving container and easing all those concerns you know like martine said it is a clinical somewhat clinical setting but very nurturing at the same time and I think that just creates the space that really you know lets guys and girls really just kind of let down their guard and just you know be vulnerable for probably once in their lives right
1: in terms of integration coaching does that where kind of like the therapy part kicks in where someone's like a week later or two weeks later and saying hey you know, I'm having this experience or you know, this challenge came up or I, I'm remembering this. You just help walk them through it or hold their hand through it?
2: The preparation is, is probably the biggest one, but the the integration is the most important. I think a lot of us, and I myself included, I felt like I could just go down. This would be a one-shot deal, right? I took my magic pill. I felt great. And now my life's going to change for the better. It's not, it's not so, though. I still struggled. I still had tons of self-doubt would come back up or I would struggle with memories and thoughts that were coming up. And then slowly, you know, found myself almost stepping back into my same thought patterns and, and habits. And that's where the coaching kicks in. And just one, you know, letting guys and girls know, hey, this is normal. This is what can not happen. But you have to do the reps. You have to create, you know, the walk, walk the walk that you want. Um, and now you have a really beautiful chance to, you know, to find a, a fresh path. But it does take work. It does take reps. And that's where the coaches kick in. And they've seen it. They've heard it. They've done it. They've lived it. And they're human. And I think, you know, for a lot of us, even coming back, myself included, I just had a client last week, you know, he was struggling for like three weeks before he finally picked up the phone again. So like, hey, you got there by yourself before, right? We all get there. So now's not the time to go solo again. Right. That's where the coaching is just works hand in hand with the medicine. And then for me, you know, working with a therapist, that's where the therapy really can actually do some work because you finally got to the X, you know, you finally peeled the onion back far enough to really... Get to whatever it is that was kind of started this process in life, and really start to deep dive the work.
1: Yeah, this is not a panacea, right? I mean, for someone who's hit bottom or is suicidal or, or you know ser- really struggling with addiction, it can have a dramatic impact. But like you said, you know the work is still to be done after that—the work of integration and then the work of self-care. A lot of uh, times, you know, the people are in those places—the addiction or the depression or whatever it is—has removed any motogram of self-care and they're all in destructive behavior mode, right? And so you got to rebuild those habits, uh, you know, of movement of exercise, of, of healthy nutrition and sleep and recovery and all those fundamentals. And then it becomes like an upward spiral of, of positive, uh, you know, results. Martin, I'm curious because, you know, rightfully, especially when dealing with uh, suicidal individuals in Ibogaine, we're, we're really focused on the medical and the therapeutic and then kind of the neuroplastic effects. But there's no question a spiritual quality to these molecules. You know, it's been considered a way to to experience God or unitive consciousness. How do you think that works? Like, what's the physiological mechanism that DMT plays in allowing us to have that experience? What's your perspective on that
0: There's a theory that the DMT is acting on a receptor, a specific serotonin receptor that in normal everyday reality helps us to differentiate self from like other like where our body ends and where the rest of the world begins. So by flooding these receptors with an exogenous amount or an exogenous source of 5-MeO-DMT, basically we feel that we become one with everything. And it's important to know that DMT and 5-MeO-DMT are neurotransmitters, so they're already present in the human brain. It's almost like we're wired to have these experiences, and evolutionarily it could be for you know creating greater cohesion and communion in, in human societies and you know, achieving greater things like, you know, building cathedrals or projects that, that require kind of believing in something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, well said.
1: I, I love that. And it's interesting, you know, kind of a historical note that, you know, these have been used, especially psilocybin for, I don't know, you know, probably thousands of years, but certainly hundreds of years. And um, I think the first accounts in the U.S. were from the, the conquistadors in Mexico or South America or, or both maybe. And how they... Um, they ended up, you know, with the reports back home and the, the missionaries, you know, that, that kind of accompanied them. Basically, that was the first example of outlawing these things because the church said, you know what, uh, these people are having a direct experience of God. They don't need the Catholic church. So we're not going to succeed here. And so they literally, they turned them into a heretical substance, banned by the, you know, whatever the religious powers would be of the day, the Catholic church. So I think that's fascinating because that, that same kind of, cultural banning happened in the 60s because of the explosion of psychedelic research with Timothy Leary and Drew Harvard and Stanford and MIT and even the uh, CIA. That was uh, at the harbinger or the forefront, I should say, of the counterculture movement, which was a real threat to the government, which you know kind of replaced the church as the major control mechanism, right? And so guess what? They get banned again. <laughs> What's your take on all that, Mike, and where we're going with this?
2: The way I look at it, the way I like to explain it to myself is, you know, I was born already having this connection with myself and with God or spirit and and earth and life and everybody else. And then life kicked in, right? And slowly that connection that I had got separated. I look at this every day. I'm like, all right, when are they going to take this away? You know, we're slowly getting this access back, right? It's really letting men and women heal to the point that like, hold on, they're cutting out the middleman again. It's going to get locked back down. So I'm curious where it's going to go.
1: I think the genie's out of the bottle this time, you know, I hope anyways. What could cut it down, and this is why I value what you guys are doing so much, is the indiscriminate use or the improper use, like we talked about earlier. And so I think that's important. This is probably something you've noticed, uh, but it was surprising to me that every single individual who was down there with us, Mike, two weekends ago, had learned about it from a podcast. That was mind-blowing. It's like, wow. Like that's information is spreading fast. Something you said really struck me. You said, you know, you you try to avoid sharing your personal experience with the actual kind of uh, journey, we'll call it, because everyone's going to have a different experience. And I saw that down there. Like every one of us down there had a radically different experience. And so if I had tried to frame an expectation around your experience or something I heard Tim Ferriss talk about or someone else, Joe Rogan, then I could be setting myself up for disappointment because I might go in with an attitude or a mindset like, uh, Martin said, that is inappropriate for what I need, right? What's your take on that?
2: I agree. I've seen it, too. I think um, I was lucky. My Abigail experience was, it was beautiful. It was exactly what I needed to get the reconciliation that I did. But my fight was wasn't pretty <laughs> at all. You know, I mean, I got through enough to, to feel love and a lot of healing. And I felt like I just got tossed out of heaven and couldn't get back in there. And It was me doing it. But I could have very easily walked away from that with the feeling that I failed right? I didn't do this. You know, all these other guys are upstairs with this beautiful experiences of love and connection and, and I didn't have it. And I've seen that with other guys and girls too. And then the more they hear, like you said, with podcasts or you know, anything else going down, now they're already coming in on the front end with all these expectations and, and maybe even misconceptions. And as best as we try to alleviate that and go, hey, listen, this is not the path you want to go down. a human, right? So you're going to go into the medicine with some expectation. But I think on the back end, being able to take what you got, which is what you need, not what you want, and learn how to work with that. Again, we're, we're so self-critical, right? So you could easily come out and just be even more self-critical because you didn't get something.
1: Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Divine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. And now back to the show. I'd love to hear from Martin kind of like the nuances between the different psychedelics so people can get a sense for, hey, this sounds interesting, Mark, but like, where should I go? You know, do it, is it psilocybin? Is it ibogaine? Is it ayahuasca? Is it 5 DMT? Is it peyote? Whatever. You know, I had heard that ibogaine was just like kick in the jimmy, right? It was super long, painful, you know, like a little bit of a battle. And so I resisted it. And yet I found it to be the opposite. I actually really enjoyed it. It was a little bit long and I had some nausea, you know, uh, experience, but did not have that kick in the Jimmy experience whatsoever. Actually my ayahuasca experience was much more painful. So it's so interesting how it affects different people, you know, differently. But Martin, what are the, uh, you know, could you take us like a, just through a little bit of a preview of what these different molecules are like the, in terms of the experience
0: without like try to preframe people's expectations? And they're different uses, maybe? There's not enough research yet to definitively say what psychedelics work for what conditions. So there's still a lot of unknowns. What we do now see and and the way that we frame it when we're talking to people is that if somebody is actively suicidal, then ketamine might be the best option because it's available in the U.S. It's uh, FDA approved. It can be prescribed by doctors. And it has a very high success rate for addressing suicidality. Also, it's important to note that not everybody should take psychedelics. There are a lot of contraindications. Specifically, if somebody is manic, it can make them more manic. If somebody is not in touch with reality, they're hearing voices, this could potentially push them over the edge. So there's other modalities that people should explore first, like flotation or breath work or meditation before even embarking on a psychedelic journey. If they have made a decision to take psychedelics, then they have to be mindful about the psychotropic medications that they have in their system. If they're prescribed antipsychotics, if they're prescribed antidepressants, they may need to taper off of them. And that in itself is challenging because you're going to get the opposite of what these drugs are doing. So if you're on an antipsychotic for a number of years and you suddenly get off, then you're going to be psychotic. Or if you're on an antidepressant, the depression is actually going to get worse when you quit taking it. and While people are tapering, they could potentially do ketamine or they can incorporate microdosing. And microdosing is the ingestion of perceptual doses of, say, psilocybin or LSD, where you're getting some of the brain healing effects of the psychedelic without the psychological risk. So that is a good place, I would say, for most people to start. And when it comes to, you know, Categorizing which psychedelic for what condition, there's some broad buckets. So Ibogaine works best for addiction and I would say for mild traumatic brain injury, but it's also not the place I would start with most individuals. So I often dissuade people from taking Ibogaine. I point them more towards mushrooms or MDMA as a first experience. And then if that does the trick, then they're, they're good. They don't need to do Ibogaine. So that's kind of a general framework that, that we use to look at these compounds with.
1: But you use ibogaine with the vets, and it's been very successful, especially with suicidal tendencies. So so why is that?
0: With the SEAL community and with the special operations community, there's a desire by the guys to do what their friends did. So they often gravitate to treatments that they've seen work for other individuals. And I do think ibogaine is fantastic for addressing depression and anxiety and suicidality and if the person can get down there and they're prepared properly, it's a great approach. But we generally recommend at least four weeks of preparation. Most people do between two and four, but four is, is ideal. It's hard to tell people to do something else when, when all of their brothers have done Ivy gain and I think that's that's part of the reason why they've gravitated towards the
1: program. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, you know, I think if there's any vets listening, I mean maybe the cat's out of the bag now, but I'm not sure everyone knows that they can get this type of treatment and, and a lot of, if not all other modalities, financially supported through different uh, foundations. Uh, Seal Future Foundation, uh, one example, Naval Special Warfare Foundation, uh, Marcus Capone's organization, I think it's called VET, right? Or something like that. Like what's the normal process if someone comes to you and you say, hey, you know, go here, right? Or call this
2: person. Yeah. I mean, most of the work that we do wouldn't even be possible without these grants, right? So we get, grant funding from different foundations. So, you know, when I went through, I was funded by Marcus and Amber with vets. Jesse Gould from Heroic Cards, former Rangers, raising capital and, and sponsoring Guys and Girls Seal so Future Fund, the whole project. And then just individual donors. What I always ask, you know, is that hey, have some skin in the game, you know, some pay some money into this so we can spread our capital across more people and, and allow for more healing. And also you take it more seriously. You take it more seriously. And I think you know, probably in the last you know ten years or so, I think the communities have just gotten used to so much public support that they almost expect it. I mean, we'd rather you know give the support to the guy or girl that really really needs it. If I can go out and buy a ten thousand dollar mountain bike, I could probably afford my own healing. We all know those people, so I think they're getting better at it. But we just go to the website and then we talk to them and then we steer them to the organizations if they need funding, and we get them dialed in as best we can. And what I've seen most of the time is. Because we have a backlog. You know, most of these retreats have a backlog. And it's funny when you're like, well, it's going to take a little bit longer because we have to raise some capital. And then it's like, oh, I came up with the capital. I got it. So, you know, try hard. But um, have some skin in the game so we can spread love this, you know, across more people.
1: The mission within, you're taking people from despair back to normality. I think that's awesome. Do you also work with individuals who are looking more for the spiritual aspect? Or do you refer that out?
2: No, we've had them come in. You know, this is a very intimate weekend, right? You've got, you know, five or six men or women down there. It's best not to have tourists come through with people that are trying to get some healing. Do we occasionally get some? Of course we do. Uh, we've really never seen anything that's really taken away from the weekend. And it's also be careful what you ask for, right? You know, you come in going, hey, I don't have anything to uncover, and you may get something uncovered. So my biggest suggestion is make, even if you're coming through as a, as a tourist or an explorer, that you really take the process seriously, especially the preparation on the front end. But yeah, know that you're going to be in a group down there um, with a bunch of guys and girls that have a lot of stuff to unpack.
1: Right. The saying ignorance is bliss is coming through my mind because, you know, be careful what you look for is kind of what you're saying. If you want ultimate growth, it's a fantastic thing, right? Because you're going to be shown your true self but if things are okay and you're just cruising along and you don't want to upset the alpha cart then be careful what you ask for it. stay ignorant blissful in your ignorance no, that's true man that's true unless you're a wrecking ball don't be a wrecking ball that's awesome i really appreciate you guys anything else that uh, that you think would be worth sharing martin that i haven't uh, asked or you know we haven't had a chance to talk about
0: i want to share the uh, research studies that we have planned and that are starting recruitment uh specifically as st- study for gold star spouses and uh, women that lost men to suicide. We are looking to recruit uh, 15 women for a psilocybin retreat and 15 women for a 5-MR retreat. They would go to UT Austin, get a brain scan, get biomarkers measured, and then go do a retreat and afterwards go again to get another brain scan to see the changes potentially. Our hypothesis is that psychedelics can help address problematic grief and other mental health issues. We're also looking to recruit women for a military sexual trauma study. Uh, This one is a little bit further behind, so we are still raising money for it. But we're going to look to see if 5-MeO-DMT can help with post-traumatic stress associated with these negative experiences some women encounter in the military. If you're a widow and if you're interested in participating, uh, please visit missionwithin.org or sign up to receive more information. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you very much for being here today,
1: Martin. I appreciate it. How about you, Mike?
2: Anything you'd like to add before we sign off here? Yeah, I just want to thank you, Mark, for having us on. It's been beautiful seeing you again. We're trying to change the narrative, right? So these are sacred healing medicines. We look at it that way. We're keeping the narrative in that lane. Uh, We want to be able to affect policy change, policy shift. Yeah, check out our website and check out Burl Hearts. Check out So Future Fund. Check out Vets. Check out all the beautiful organizations are out there doing the work and funding these.
1: Oh yeah. Well, thanks you both uh, for, for joining us today. Thanks for the work you're doing. And, uh, we'll put all those links in our show notes and on the website and, um, appreciate you guys. And, uh, oh yeah. That was an extremely informative episode. Um, learned a ton about psychedelic therapies and treatments, different modalities, the do's and the don'ts and all the great work that, uh, Martin Polanco and uh, Mike Higgs are doing and others at the Mission Within down in Mexico with their psychedelic-assisted medically supervised um, healing retreats. You can find the show notes and transcripts up at markdivine.com, the video up at YouTube, markdivine.com slash YouTube. Reach out to us at markdivine on Twitter and at realmarkdivine on Facebook or Instagram or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not on my newsletter um, subscription list, then consider subscribing at markdivine.com to receive my Divine Inspiration newsletter every Tuesday where I have a synopsis of this week's podcast as well as my blog, as well as a book that I'm reading and uh, some other cool things that come across my desk. Special shout out to my amazing team, Jeff Haskell, Jeff Torres, Melinda Hershey, and Jason Sanderson who help produce this podcast and bring incredible guests like Martine and Michael to you every week. Reviews are very helpful, so please review the show if you have the time and if you like it it helps other people find it and helps with our credibility. And uh, yeah, that's it. Enough for this uh, this week. The world is definitely um, chaotic and dangerous. So it appears it's up to us to do the work to move it toward a more positive place to be the change that we want to see in the world in ourselves first, but then to do it at scale by paying it forward and teaching others and sharing. Uh, So thank you for being part of the journey. Thank you for your support. Check out The Mission Within. And uh, if you know anyone who's seriously struggling with addiction or suicidal tendencies, then seriously consider that as an option because it's been extremely helpful and successful. Talk to you next week. We are the Dino.